0: You know, there are people in our generation of time who wonder why it is that we place so much emphasis, it seems to be today, on the subject of worship. In fact, I, I do occasionally pick up some denominational sectarian publications and read what's going on, you know, among denominational churches and what's happening in their thinking. And I will tell you that I don't remember a time in many, many years that as much emphasis is being given to the subject of worship as is being given even in denominational circles today. Of course, you could go to a lot of church meetings like you've come to tonight, and you might find many churches that would never even address the subject of worship much less the idea of correct worship, because quite frankly, in the world of which we are a part, there are many people who have never entertained the idea that you could worship God wrongly. In fact, one of the big problems I think that we have in our world today is this idea that God will accept as worship whatever we sincerely bring before him, that it's almost like your grandchildren bringing you their artwork. It's not the greatest thing you've ever seen But because of who did it for you, you're going to accept it and you'll proudly display it on your refrigerator or maybe even take some of it and have it framed to hang on a wall. Not because it's a Picasso, not because it's a Rembrandt, but because of who that person is to you. And so many people have the idea that God is that way with us and that when we come and we say we're going to worship, that God is just going to just say, okay, whatever you want to do, I'm glad to get it. I'm just thankful you're thinking about me. And so here we will take whatever you present to us. Most people have never really come across the idea that it is necessary to worship correctly, that it is necessary for us to keep in our focus as we worship the God whose worship we have assembled to actually uh, execute. And I hope that tonight as we have come together that we recognize that the things we've done already in this good singing and in the prayer that we were led in and in the study of the Word, even though we may find enjoyment in those things, and I think we should find enjoyment in those things, we didn't come here tonight just because we enjoy what we're doing. We came here tonight, we come together in an assembly to worship as we are doing tonight because there is a God above all whom we described yesterday who is the recipient of our adoration and of our praise and because of His awesomeness, because of the reverence that we feel in our hearts for Him we cannot help but bow down and worship Him with the reverence and the awe of that wells up us. There is absolutely no attempt that we might make to increase respect and reverence for God without talking about worship. There's just no way you can address that subject without talking about what worship actually is. And true worship is always an expression of our reverence for God. I want to begin with a passage from the 12th chapter of Hebrews tonight. And you read there in verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And he's, of course, talking about God. He said, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May I suggest to you tonight as we begin our thoughts here that the Bible focuses man's attention always on the worship of Almighty God. From the very earliest recordings Of human history in only the second generation in the case of Adam's sons Cain and Abel we begin to get some instruction about what God wants as far as the worship that we render and what we see is that this early family in human history were taught about worship and they were taught about bringing sacrifice to God And because God is deeply involved, worship is a very, very sacred thing. And for the worshiper to minimize its importance or to be careless or to be casual about it is but to trivialize God. And he does not want us to fall into the trap of treating him trivially. In the case of Cain and Abel, what was unacceptable with Cain's offering was that Cain had no respect for the blood sacrifice to the Lord that apparently the Lord had spoken of to these two men, not recorded for us. But because the Bible says in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and then it tells us in Genesis 4 that Abel by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, we have to conclude that God had communicated His will to these two young men about what he wanted from them in worship. And so Abel complied with what God had asked. Cain, sincere though he may have been, determined that he was going to offer something different than what God had specified, what God had asked. And it's possible that he was like many in our own day who consider some things about divinely prescribed worship as non-salvation issues. Every once in a while, when we talk about worship and we talk about things related to worship, someone will say, yes, I I know that that's probably important, but would it really interfere with a person's salvation if you worship wrongly, but you were worshiping sincerely, you just missed it somewhere and you didn't understand particularly what you were doing? Cain's brother, Abel, He understood what God's pleasure was in this matter and he offered this blood sacrifice and the text there in Genesis chapter 4, as you've been reading it, would say that God found no problem with what Abel did. In fact, he had respect for Abel as a person. Do you see that in the text? He respected that Abel obeyed him and that Abel did what God had asked for him to do, and he had respect for his sacrifice, but he also had respect for the spirit, and for the devotion, and for the obedience, which Abel demonstrated in bringing that before him. But God found absolutely no pleasure whatsoever in Cain's offering. And of course, you know the rest of that story, and I would just remind you that the 15th chapter of Romans in our New Testament, verse 4, says, that those things that were written about these people aforetime were written for our learning. So we are to learn from the approach that these fellows made in their worship and to get some kind of instruction about what we should do even in our own. The important thing generally overlooked in this situation is that in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God had already announced His plans for sending his son to die as redeemer of the lost race and uh, the blood of animal sacrifices which men were required to offer throughout the old testament really pointed by faith toward calvary they really had more significance than maybe people even realized at the time that they were making those blood sacrifices And because of this, with God, the animal sacrifice was not a matter of expediency. As far as God was concerned, it was not a non-salvation issue. It was an expression of a person's faith in the coming Savior, His Son, the death of the ultimate sacrifice that would one day be made on the cross. And so doing God's expressed will does make a difference, folks. Whether or not we understand all of the whys of God's commands, whether we understand or not all of the wherefores of God's directives, it makes a difference that we do it the way God has asked us to do it. And it does not take great faith to do what God says when we can see a reason for it. But it certainly takes a great deal of faith to do what we do when we don't know why God asked us to do it. And when we're not quite sure what all of the reasoning was in the mind of God or the purposes that he had for asking us to bring certain things before him in worship. Now, the word worship is used all over the Bible and you know that. If you've ever done any Bible study at all, you know that the word worship or the word worshiper or the word worshiping or worships or some form of that word occurs frequently in the Bible and when you take those words in their original language which in the Old Testament was Hebrew and in the New Testament is Greek and you translate those words into the English language you end up with a number of different words but most of the time English translations always translate those original words with our word worship and each of those words casts a little bit of a different light on the subject of worship let me just run through this very very quickly with you the most commonly used word for worship in the bible defines worship as an act of homage or reverence the making of obeisance to god doing reverence to or toward god to kiss the hand of the person that you are seeking to honor And that is the way in which the word is most often used in the Bible. But there's another word in the Bible that just simply means to revere, that is to have utter and awesome respect for the person to whom you are bringing this bit of worship, this awe and devotion that ought to characterize your spirit and your attitude as you worship God. There's another of these words that simply means to bow the knee, There's still another that conveys the idea of sacrificial offerings that someone might be required to make. And even one of those words for worship in our Bible implies the idea of a pattern associated with religious service that is offered to God. But here's something that I want you to pay close attention to, you knew all of that. When I was digging into this anew, trying to figure out what God wanted me to know about worship, I discovered that there is not a single Bible word anywhere that means celebration or festivity or ceremony or ritual, not a one. Not a one of those words that are translated is used in the scriptures the way people today sometimes use the word worship and develop the concept of worship and what worship is really all about. Now what I want to do just now is look with you at a number of Bible passages where we have these words worship in our English language pop up. And I want you to pay close attention in each of these instances as to what is taking place when it says that someone was worshiping God in reverence and awe as he was doing it. What was taking place? In someone's life, in someone's actions, in someone's attitude, when the Bible says that person was worshiping. Well, let's start in Genesis chapter 24. And there it's said that when the patriarch Abraham was old and well stricken in age, that he sent his servant on one occasion back over to the homeland of Mesopotamia to find a wife for his son Isaac from among their own people. And you remember that story. And in verse 26, it tells us that that servant in Abraham's behalf, going to look for a wife for Isaac, he prayed that God would give success to his journey. And as God answered him, verse 26 says that the man bowed down his head and worshiped. And then when he got to Laban's house and told Laban about what had happened to him on his journey to go and find his master's uh, uh, new wife Uh, he said I bowed down my head and I worship the Lord. And then when Rebekah's father gave Rebekah to Isaac for marriage, verse 52 says that when Abraham's servant heard their words, that is the words of consent, yes, you can take Rebekah, yes, she can be Isaac's wife, you can take her back with you. It says that he worshiped the Lord and that he bowed himself to the earth as he worshiped God. But that's of course not the only place that worship is mentioned you go to the book of exodus chapter 4 and when moses and aaron were telling the elders of the children of israel about god's plans to deliver them from egyptian bondage verse 31 says that the people believed and when they heard that the lord had looked upon their affliction then they bowed their heads and they worshiped but that's still not all because when you Go even further. Now just notice we're making a progression through time. I mean there are a lot of years between that circumstance in Genesis and this circumstance in Exodus 4. And now I'm about to jump from Exodus 4 over to the book of 1 Chronicles in the time of King David. When he was about ready to die, when he was quite aged, he told the people of Israel how he had made all of these careful preparations to put materials together for the building of that temple that we talked about yesterday morning, and he ended his speech with a prayer, and after he ended that uh, prayer, it is said there in 1 Chronicles 29 and 20 that all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers, and they bowed down their heads and worshipped the Lord. Are you following me? We're going through time. These are different settings, these are different people, they're different circumstances, but already we're seeing a pattern develop, aren't we, about what it meant for someone to have been said of him or her that they are worshipping the Lord. Solomon succeeded his father to the throne. He built the temple according to the plan of God, and after a long dedicatory speech which ended with a prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3. It says that when the children of Israel saw the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed their heads with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And they worshipped. And they praised the Lord saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever." But we're not done yet because the old testament goes further and tells us that upon the return of the israelite remnant that came from captivity when the city of jerusalem had been rebuilt all of the people gathered themselves together the scripture says that they gathered themselves together as one man in the street before the water gate in the city of jerusalem and it was ezra the scribe who was chosen to read the book of the law of moses the law of god And when he got out the book, when he got out the law of God, the text in Nehemiah tells us that all the people stood up. And he read from that early in the morning until later on in that day. And the people were attentive to the book of the law while it was being read. And then notice that it says that Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces toward the ground. Now, I don't know exactly where Job fits with any proof into the story of the Old Testament. I rather think he's probably a genesis type character someone known to moses or people at that particular time but i'm going to throw him in here at this juncture and when the messenger in job's circumstances came running to job to tell him of the bad news about all of his children being killed and another to tell him of the loss of all of his oxen and his donkeys and another that came and gave the news about all of his sheep and his servants who were destroyed, and and then finally another that came with the news about all of his camels dying. The scripture says in Job chapter 1 and verse 20, that Job arose, he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down on the ground and worshipped. You know, the same Holy Spirit that inspired all these different writers is always using the same kind of descriptive words to help us understand something about the nature of worship, it appears to me. And I believe it's very, very instructive and very, very important. But I know that by this time, somebody probably is sitting here and saying, well, yes, Mark, but you've been reading all these Old Testament passages and you and I both know that we don't live under that law. And we both know that Christ took that law out of the way and he nailed it to the cross I will remind you that some of these people of whom we read a moment ago weren't living under the law either. Cain and Abel weren't living under the law of Moses. And in Exodus chapter 4, the law of Moses had not yet been written and delivered to the people that would eventually have to be governed by it. But I would remind you that what the book of Revelation tells us in our New Testament in chapter 5 and verse 14 is that those 24 elders fell down and they worshiped him that lives forever and ever. And in verse 12 of chapter seven, it says that the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces and they worshiped God. And then in the 11th chapter and verse 16 of Revelation, we have the 24 elders which sat before God on their seats falling upon their faces and worshiping God. And, of course, that's a scene of heaven, isn't it? That's not about the wilderness. It's not about Job's circumstance. It's not about even a New Testament church assembling. It's about heaven. It's about eternity. It's about the scene before the throne of God. So let me just stop here and draw a line and say, what are we learning from this? What are we learning from the scriptures when we read all of these descriptions of what happens when people are worshiping God reverently and when they're worshiping God with awe? These are not isolated, incidental cases. This isn't just coincidence that all of these things were described the way they were. All you've got to do is get yourself a good concordance and do what I've done tonight and simply work your way through the Bible and I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find more of the same stuff I've just just exposed. The very same language is going to be used in other circumstances where worship is being described. And always, listen to me now, always when people or even angels are seen worshiping God, it was always, always an act of humble obeisance with reverence and with fear. They bowed themselves to the ground. Never, never, never in your Bible, not even once, was their worship characterized by shouting and glee and holy laughter, and dancing, and frivolity, and celebration, or casualness. Never! Now, I can do something with that, or I can ignore it. But if what I've said to you this week about our great God is true, I'd better not ignore it. I'd better pay attention to all of those examples, because it seems to me God is trying to, His very best to tell us something that we may not have been willing to hear. What are we going to do with all this information that I've just laid before us tonight? What is the situation with worship for you and me? And in our age and in our time and under the law of Jesus Christ. Are there any guidelines for worship today? I think there are. And what we read in the Bible about worshiping God is a far cry from what we're going to find when we go into many places where people say they are worshiping. Let me say that again. You can go into a lot of places where people call what they're doing worship, and it won't be a 40-second cousin to what we have just read in our scriptures tonight about what God said people were doing when He received their worship. And when he accepted what they brought to him. Look at the second Psalm, just a moment, in verse 1 or verse 11, where it says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then in the 95th Psalm, the first seven verses, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Singing was a part of their expression of devotion to God. It's a part of our expression of devotion to God, isn't it? Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. And in His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His And he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. My friends, these passages are crying out to us and telling us, that the worship that we render to God, which is accepted by God, involves the lowest posture of humility and submission that we can muster. Now, I want you to hear something else the Scripture has to say in the 99th Psalm, and verse 5, where he says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at His footstool for he is holy do you have a footstool probably in this oh I see one right over there the classroom was filled with them this morning I'm sure all over this building there's a footstool a place where your feet rest and whenever your feet are on top of something you're on top of it aren't you and where is our place when we come before this great and holy God to worship we are the footstool what does that say to us Can we just stand around with our bald faces staring up and acting like, you know, God should just be happy that we're there and just count us and be thankful that we've given him a little bit of time this week? Or do we come approaching our God in worship with a great deal more humility? Let me tell you, worshiping at the footstool is not the modern perception of worship. It is not the way most people think worship is should be offered at all. An older preacher I know, told me one time about a, a young Christian friend of his, and they were touring old church buildings. They were just going all across the countryside when they'd find some old, old structure still left somewhere, they'd go in and take a look around at these old buildings. And he said they went into one building one time and as they passed down the center aisle of that building, he said the young man noticed The young man noticed, the young man noticed what he said to the older man were all the footrests that are in this building. He said they've all got these nice little pads on them and they'll fold up when you get ready to fold them up and get them out of the way. But most of the time they're down and people can put their feet on all of those little old things that are all over this building. And my friend said to him, he said, now son, he said, those are not footstools. He said, those are kneeling rails and the young man just laughed he thought that was so hilarious it was just so funny it never occurred to him that at one time people thought that if you were going to pray to god you'd better be where on your knees and he just thought that was quaint i mean that's like going to an antique store you know and seeing stuff in there you can't buy at walmart today and thinking what did they do with that what was the purpose of all of that Now, I'm not telling you, and I want no one to go away from where I am right now, going home tonight and say, well, the preacher up there tonight told us that if we're going to pray to God, we've always got to be kneeling to do it. Now, if you go back through the scriptures and uh, look at just the subject of prayer, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find about that. There were times when people were on their knees when they were praying. And there were times when people were standing up and lifting up their hands to God when they were praying. And there were times when people were lying in the bed and they were praying. And there were times when people were walking down the road and they were praying. My point is, there's all sorts of posture that might be associated with the human activity of prayer. But what is going to be going on in your heart, folks, is going to be utter humility, recognizing that you don't belong at the head. You belong at the foot. And the person that is being honored is so great and is so far above who and what you are that you are just fortunate, and I don't even wanna use the word fortunate, use the word blessed to be included in his presence, to be allowed where he is doing what you are doing. Our worship of God in spirit and in truth, which is what Jesus enjoins upon us in John 4 and verse 24, I want you to know that I think that affects every other aspect of our lives. Not just what we do in these settings like in a church building, but our morals, our character, our concern for the salvation of others, how we treat other people, how we get along with other Christians, how we deal with our family members, and yes, even how we transact our business it's all going to be predicated on the respect and reverence that we have for God. And if we are willing to bow down to God in our daily life, it is going to make a difference in every area of our life. I believe our lack of reverence, our lack of genuine awe of God in our worshiping assemblies is at the very heart of many of our social ills in our day and time people don't know how to reverence God you see somebody do some awful thing and you think to yourself do they have no fear of God and you know what the answer to that question is no they don't they're not worried at all about having to answer to God they may not even believe they will answer to God we'll talk about that later in the meeting But I'm here to tell you tonight that if you truly reverence God, it is going to affect everything you do because your entire approach to God is always going to be one of utter respect. Virtually every religious group that calls itself Christian is concerning itself with what's being done today in their worshiping assemblies. And oh my, many wild and weird patterns are tearing even denominational churches apart I told you I've been reading some of their literature there's a phrase that's used to describe what's going on in many of their churches they call it worship wars because they've got the old crowd that wants the traditional way they've got the new crowd that wants the contemporary way they've got the crowd that wants to come dressed in a suit and tie they've got the crowd that wants to come in their pajamas And there's very little difference in the two of them. And what they have is they have to have two different services because they can't all agree on how to appear before God at the same time. So those that want to just come laid back and casual and change all the music and do all the things that will just suit them and make things more comfortable for them, they do it at one hour. And those that want to continue to do those things that have been done through the ages, they do it at another hour. And these churches may be meeting in the same building, but there are many churches in the same spot. And this idea is just destroying many denominational churches, and may I suggest to you, many groups even calling themselves churches of Christ. In all honesty, I have to say to you that there's a lot of strange fire being offered to the Lord today, and you know what that comes from, Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, where... Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, offered strange fire before the Lord. And people are offering to God as worship today all sorts of things that is being marketed in religious programming. You see it on television. You'll hear it on the radio broadcast. You'll see it on the web, on the internet. I want you to remember something tonight as we go away from this study. I want you to remember that passage we began with in Hebrews chapter 12. And there was a statement made down at the end of Hebrews chapter 12 that was something very, very important that we need to understand. The Bible that we started with tonight, the Hebrews 12 passages said, Our God is a consuming fire. And you may be thinking to yourself, Oh, that's not my God. My God's not going to hurt anyone. My God is not going to be difficult with which to deal. My God is going to take whatever I offer Him. That's not my God you're talking about when you say that our God is a consuming fire. Well, I'm sorry about that, but the God of the Bible is a consuming fire. And it says that in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. And for you and me who are Christians, it says it again. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29. I wish this God were your God. If He is not your God, you need to align your thinking about Him. I'm simply telling you something about the true and living God that we don't hear very much about these days. And there are churches all across our land who've never heard this view of God. And they've not respected Him as they ought and they thought church was all about them and they thought worship was all about what they got out of it and what they took home with them and if they didn't get what they wanted out of it they'd go someplace where they could and they needed to realize that it was really and truly all about God that's what it's about and what benefit I get I get but it wasn't about me to start with and it's not about me in the end our society is looking for answers to a lot of very, very serious questions nowadays. I'm going to just say something here that's going to sound strange. But what I'm going to say to you is, why is it that you've got a kid somewhere who decides to take an automatic weapon and to go into a school building and just start shooting up the place and attempt to kill as many classmates as he possibly can? Why is it that the divorce rate is the highest in some of our states, in the Bible Belt of all places, where it's but natural to assume that faith in God would be the strongest? Why is it that in a nation where 92 to 96% of the citizens profess to be believers in God, that that nation is without a moral standard? And anarchy reigns in many places. It is because there is no fear of God in their eyes. That's the problem. And you know where it started? At church. It started down at the church house when folks lost their fear of God there. And decided church was just about them. And church was about what they liked. And church was about what they felt their needs were and whether or not they were being met. I've been doing some serious thinking about this. And I've been praying about it, and I'm sure you have too. And when I ask that question, how could these things be in an environment where most of the people say they believe in God, I don't have all the answers. I'm asking these questions tonight. You've got insight into this I don't have. I want you to share that with me. But I'm just wondering if it could be that despite all of our beautifully built, church facilities at about every street intersection you want to go to in any city and despite all of the church going that goes on in our land and all of the Bible waving and Bible thumping that takes place among people and all of the feelings oriented worship services that have been uh, orchestrated we've still forsaken God folks we've still walked off and left God we've made our own God we've made this God to meet our personal needs Instead of recognizing that where we should have been all along was at the footstool, not up in his lap, not with our arms around his neck, not sitting right beside him like we belong there. Even Jesus taught that when you went to a feast, where should you seat yourself? At the head of the table or down at the foot? He said, You just go to the lowest place at the table, and if the master of the feast wants you to go higher, he'll say, Friend, come up here. I got a better seat for you up here. That's the attitude. That's the way human beings have been taught by Jesus and by our Father to treat God. But we're not treating Him that way. And I wonder if it isn't that our perception of God is that God is just this automatic grace dispenser who will not make any demands on our lives. He will not require commitment to faith founded on His Word. He will not require obedience to His commands or make any claim on our lives nor hold us accountable for our words or our deeds in a last great judgment. I wonder, I just wonder if our worship has not become worthless in God's sight. You may say, how in the world could that be? Well, look at this final passage in Malachi 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. God said, if then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? He said to Israel, he said, I have no pleasure in you. Neither will I accept an offering from your hand. This is our God, folks. This was the God of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, saying to a group of people, I know you're planning to worship. I know you say you're offering it, but I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to take that from your hand. You're saying, behold, what a weariness all of this is. You've snuffed at it. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord?" He said, "Why even your governor wouldn't think you were respecting him by bringing this to him. Why do you think I would respect you for bringing this to me? So I'm asking us tonight to bow our heads down to the ground. That's what I'm asking us to do. You know, it'd be very easy to get everybody just to decide they were going to bow their knees. It's at heart, it's hard to bow. As I've gotten older, it's hard to bow the knee, too, I have to admit. And it takes a little more effort to get down and then get back up. And while I'm there, I might hurt a little more with my knee on the concrete floor. But my heart hurts a lot worse when it has to bow than my body ever has. But if I'm going to be right with God, that's the only way. There's no other way to be right with God except to bow your heart and submit to doing His will completely. And tonight, if you need to begin that journey toward God by repentance, genuine repentance from sin and confession of your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and by being willing to allow someone to immerse you in water for the remission of your sins, so that through the death of Jesus, you can have his blood cleanse you and make you a Christian tonight. We want to help you do it. And it all begins with bowing your head to the ground and deciding not my will, but yours be done. Let us know how we can help you while together we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at the We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.